my friends, we are studying unusual characters this summer, and Lydia is one who a lot of people know, at least peripherally. She's not unusual from the perspective of not being somebody that no one's ever heard of, but she is pretty special. So let's pray together, and we will study the word. Gracious God, we thank you for this good opportunity. Help us do something good with it. In your name we pray. Amen. So when Americans hear about Chick-fil-A, they think about two things, chicken sandwiches and waffle fries, and then closed on Sundays. And that's because they know that Chick-fil-A is a company that, that is, um, in the back, background of their DNA, is a Christian company. They do extraordinary things all across the country. They give generously. And while Chick-fil-A is probably the first overtly Christian business that a lot of people think about, there are others. There's Hobby Lobby. There is Walmart that were at least started by professing Christians. Now, there's a different category, though, of business people who run businesses that are not overtly Christian. You would not necessarily pin them as Christian companies, but their CEOs, their founders are Christian, and they live out a Christian lifestyle that impacts the larger community. One of those people was Anthony Rossi. In 1947, Rossi purchased a small orange juice company in the southwest Florida town of Bradenton. Now, when somebody hears the word Tropicana, they don't immediately think Jesus or church, but what he was able to accomplish through the work that he did at Tropicana, he was able to gather enough funding to share his faith and build Christian schools and missions and churches all over the world. In 1983, Town and Country magazine named him one of the 10 most generous living Americans at the time. And he went on to establish Missionary Village, which is a retirement community for those who have retired from the mission field. So Chick-fil-A and Hobby Lobby and Anthony Rossi remind us that faith and business do not have to be mutually exclusive. But they also give us an idea of what it looks like when those two things collide. Now, Rossi was originally from Italy, and he grew up Roman Catholic. And I want to say this to you. Just because you grow up in a certain denomination or a non-denomination doesn't mean that you are really a follower of Christ. There are millions of people out there in the business world, out there in the world in general, who are in name only Catholics, Methodists, Presbyterians, what have you. Many of them are not generous people. Their business practices do not reflect an active faith. People are shocked when they show up at Christmas or at Easter in their congregations because they never would have thought in a million years that these are people that follow Jesus Christ. Today's unusual character is Lydia, and she's unusual for a bunch of reasons. First, she's unusual because she is a she. And we don't have a lot of strong females in Scripture. Second is that she's an established businesswoman. There are even less of them recorded in Scripture. She is successful. Women in those days did not typically have roles of leadership in business. 
And perhaps most importantly, she is unusual because she is a model for the rest of us when it comes to issues of faith and what is known specifically as discipleship. Now, we meet Lydia through Paul and Silas. This is in the early days of their missionary journeys. Paul and Silas, at this point, they're just trekking all over the ancient world. They're on a missionary journey. They're en route to a place called Philippi when they encounter Lydia. And Paul reports it in Acts 16 this way. We set sail from Troas and took a straight course to Samothrace. The following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. So what Paul's trying to express here is they've gotten to a major trade route. They're getting to a place where you have a lot of intersection of commerce going on. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and we spoke to the women who had gathered there. So Paul and Silas are so anxious to share the gospel that they went out on the Sabbath into this Jewish community of believers. And what they found when they got there was a group of women. It was a small group in a time of prayer and study, which had to be such an interesting moment for these two men to sit down and talk with women. And what's really interesting too about it for me is that so many people will use Paul's words later on to talk about women and, and their roles in the church when one of the very first groups of people that Paul went to to share the good news was a group of women. And you have to understand that if these women had just held the gospel to themselves, it would not have moved like wildfire all across Europe. Now, there was a certain woman, Lydia. She was a worshiper of God. She was listening to us, says Paul, from the city of Thyatira, and she was a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. Within this group, we have Lydia, and the first thing that we know about her is that she is a worshiper of God, which in this case does not mean that she was a follower of Jesus Christ. She hadn't been introduced to Christ yet. Lydia is a Jew, and what's interesting about Lydia is that she is clearly on some kind of search. There is something that has brought her to this small group by the river. She's trying to figure out something about faith. Because she's been going through the motions of it, but on the inside, she, she's, she's looking for something more. The next thing that we know about her is that she's from Thyatira. Thyatira is one of five large cities that makes up a region of Asia Minor, which is called Lydia. So this location that was smack dab in the middle of trade routes and had enjoyed generations of valuable trade throughout the Greco-Roman world was the place where Lydia the person came from. She was so connected to her home environment that her name became representative of her native province. Finally, we learn that she is a dealer in purple cloth. And I love this because people are like, hmm, is that sketchy? What it, what's the deal with the purple cloth? Well, it means that she runs a very specific business. What's most likely is that she traded in proprietary dye that was made from shellfish and mollusk. And it was very expensive. It wasn't a common thing. People did not run around with purple clothing, which, by the way, is the best color. <laughs> but 
But back in the day, she had a really exclusive business, and many of her clients would have been extremely high-end clientele because that's who could afford this special dye. Most of them were probably not Jews. They were probably pagans who were looking to find embellishments for their pagan gods, or they were military, looking to find military enhancements for their ceremonies and festivals. That's interesting, I think. It's interesting that she is doing business with people who clearly do not share her faith. Part of that, that might have been part of Lydia's struggle. It could have been that, that she just didn't feel like her faith was strong enough that she had any right to not interact with people who also did not share that kind of faith. She's definitely searching for something. But then scripture says, the Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. Now, how many of us go through the days of our lives with a very lukewarm faith? Does someone ever say, and they got up eagerly, eagerly to start their day and to share the good news and to grow in their faith, but Lydia was eager on this. Most of us tend to go through, we have these seasons where we just kind of go through the motions. Because of what? Because of habits, because of guilt, because of boredom. For whatever reason, Lydia was going through this period where she got into a place where it just wasn't enough for her. It wasn't enough just to do the same old, same old. She was looking for something more. And the crazy part about this is that it, it wasn't that her life wasn't successful. She was really successful. She had a great job. She owned a home in the ancient world, which was a big deal for a woman. She was a widow. She probably had been for a while, but she was making it work. She was not somebody in the throes of crisis who thought, man, I, I got to get myself some faith. She was looking for something more, some meaning and purpose. And I think one of the most dangerous symptoms of, of a lacking faith is that assumption that I've already arrived. I've already arrived. I've got a faith. It's good. I don't have to do anything with it. It's kind of on self-maintenance. Self well, Lydia knew that just wasn't the case for her. And so she listened. She eagerly listened to Paul's words. And finally, she gets to this point where she is ready to follow Christ, and she gets baptized. She gets baptized. And when she and her household were baptized, she urged us, this is Paul writing, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. Go back and look at that first sentence. There's no period after the word baptize. There's more to life than baptism. Friends, if there's one thing that we have got to hit home this morning, it's this. Baptism is significant it is an outward sign of an inward seal. It's a big deal, but it is not the whole shebang, and we need to stop treating it like it is. It's a significant point on one's journey of faith, but it is most definitely not the stopping point. Jesus never qualified following him as getting baptized and then walking away. So here's Lydia. And she and her whole household get baptized. And she says, if you judge me to be faithful, come and stay at my home. Oh, church, 
Oh, church, this one is so hard for your pastor. It's probably one of the hardest sentences in Scripture. I think it is hard for any of us that are naturally introverted and want to be left alone. Invite people into your home, especially random people that you have just recently met, and invite them to stay with you. I am such an introvert that my heart goes through the roof when my mom calls to say that she's coming to visit. I can't even tell you what it's like when I see the FedEx guy coming to our doorbell. I want to hide. I am baptized, but I want to be comfortable, at least in my own home. But see, this really isn't about your physical health. That's not where the scripture is going. Lydia shows us that solid faith is meant to grow in community. And we do that, we do that by doing life together. There's a churchy word for that. That word is discipleship. And discipleship is about being intentional and intentionally putting yourself into places and relationships where your faith is going to grow. Now, some people think that that means Bible study and, and Sunday morning classes, and that's true, and that's, that's part of it. Certainly, Lydia would have wanted to have Paul in her home so that she could learn more about Jesus. But I can't imagine that Paul came into her home and then sat Lydia down in front of a chalkboard or, or whatever and, and started teaching that way. I don't think that's how that happened. I think, I think that he taught and she learned and she received and she gave because they had coffee over the kitchen table in a relationship. We grow in our walk when we walk together through life in ways that help us to learn the faith, live the faith, and then go share that faith out in the world. Lydia was the first convert in all of Europe. She helped start, plan, and finance churches all over the ancient world. And here's the crazy thing about this. She didn't stop her business. Once she became baptized, she didn't stop her business. She didn't compartmentalize and, and, and push it away. But her business dealings probably changed significantly because her faith changed. And her business became her ministry. And that doesn't mean that she is now only selling purple cloth to churches. That's not what was happening. But what was happening was that by living out her Christian principles that she had learned in the community of faith, by having those gentle discussions, she was able to give a winsome witness doing her regular secular job so that people could see and experience her life in a way that allowed, them, allowed her to share her faith with them. The final sentence in this passage is such a great one. I love this. And she prevailed upon us. Here's what this is about. You know how Southerners have that, that wonderful way of greeting one another in the grocery store? Oh, darling, it's so good to see you. We got to get together real soon, right? Right? Southerners do that. But do you know what else Southerners know? They know that nobody actually means it, right? <laughs> We're going to get together real soon. Well, that could be sometime between now and when Jesus returns. We don't really know, but that's, that's how it is. I think our temptation, 
I think our temptation is, as followers of Christ is to try to make sure that, that we say the right things and then just pray to God that nobody calls us out on them. I, I truly think that that's, that's one of the things that we fall into. The idea that Lydia prevailed means that this wasn't just some glib offer, come stay at my home and just pray that you've already gotten a hotel somewhere, right? This was that she came back against any argument that they might have had about not staying with her. She wanted this to happen. She was persistent. So it wasn't that this was the polite thing to do or the expected thing to do. This was intentional on Lydia's part. And discipleship, brothers and sisters, is an intentional act. It is an investment in your faith and the fledgling faith of the community, in Lydia's case, that was around her. So she didn't just get baptized and stop. She got baptized and then. Not stop, but and then. And then that's when she started to become a disciple of Christ, prevailing against a culture that could have put a period right at the end of that baptism. Now this fall, we're going to be talking a lot about discipleship. In fact, it is the number one priority of our vision team. And that came out of all the conversations that we've been having the last three months about what's important and what do we value in the life of this church and what is something that we need to grow. And we came back to discipleship. The crazy thing about our church is we have done really, really well with this idea of be the church. We know what that means. We can articulate it. We can share it. But there is a next step to that. And that next step is a big one, and it is how, how we church. It's not, it's not a great grammatical sentence, but it is how we church. And that involves how we intentionally structure our lives together in ways that we never stop growing as followers of Christ. There is no baptism and then a period, no Sunday morning church and then a period. No Christmas and Easter services and then a period. Discipleship is something that we're going to have to intentionally invest in and with God's help prevail against the world that says our attentions and our resources and our efforts should go elsewhere. Now you can get a head start on this. You can get a head start on this by considering how you can live a Lydia life. A Lydia life is one that is not easily content with very easy, superficial, comfortable answers and patterns. It is a life that seeks more. More meaning, more purpose, more connection. Notice I did not say more money, more time, more vacation. It's meaning, purpose, connection. And there may be parts of your life, like your business, that, that might not radically change, but instead you'll see small shifts in your faith as that faith grows and develops. But there may be other parts of your life where you are going to see some kind of radical change when you welcome people into your home and into your routine to have a cup of coffee so that you can sit down with them and talk with them about where they are in their faith. And, and you can wrestle with those hard questions. We don't want to wrestle with the hard questions because that's not comfortable and it's not easy but that's how we're going to grow, right? If you just keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, that's great, but you don't grow. So at the end of the day, you prevail in deepening your faith by being deeply rooted in a community of believers. It is not either or, it is both 
end, and there is no period. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we, we confess we like being comfortable. We want to be left alone. We want to be doing our own thing. But then you challenge us. You challenge us to be more and do more, to do that in a community. And we thank you for this community, for the ways that, that we get to celebrate birthdays and celebrations and triumphs, that we care for each other. But it is time, Lord. It is time for our church to go to that next level. And so we pray that your spirit would go ahead of us, that you would lead us, and that we would all seek to have lives that are a little closer to Lydia, which brings us even closer to you. In your name we pray. Amen.